Professor Melvin Vopson, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited and looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Connor, for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so can you tell me, give us a quick synopsis of your background, um, where you're from, and your journey into information physics? So um, I uh, did a PhD in um, condensed matter magnetism at the University of Central Lancashire, um, graduation in 2002, um, essentially. So, um, uh, and prior to this um, um, postgraduate scholarship, I was um, at the University of Bucharest, where um, Romania, where I um, did my first BSc in physics, and that was followed by a master's degree in physics uh, at the same university. So yeah, I um, <clears throat> I was born in Romania and I spent my past 24 years in the UK, um, you know, joining um, here initially for a PhD program. And um, I was um, offered a um, postdoctoral um, research um, role uh, at the University of York um, in 2002. And um, it was only one year, um, but um, it was a really interesting project, really interesting project. In fact, I, I had a 10-year um, offer um, at um, a research institute in Dresden at the same time, and I had one-year job offer at the University of York. And um, I chose one year at York instead of 10 years in Dresden because... Um, the project was really interesting. So, um, yeah. uh, and, and from, from there, it kind of cascaded through another postdoctoral role at um, York uh, for another four years uh, on a different project. Um, and uh, yeah, I ended up um, making UK my second home, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, um, since 2012, I am a permanent academic at the University of Portsmouth. Um, but uh, prior to that, I spent many years at the National um, Institute um, uh, of Physics. Uh, the, the, well, it's called National Physical Laboratory. It's called is equivalent of Max Planck in Germany or um, NIST in United States. And tell me, did you have a kind of a, a Newtonian Apple moment where you thought, okay, physics, this is the path for me? Um, or was it kind of a gradual process? Were you you were particularly good at math? As a young actually, man, or? actually, as a young man, I uh, my my first um, um, love in life was um, tennis. So um, I'm coming from a tennis background. I I'm an ex junior pro, um, and um, in fact, I'm coaching my my young uh, boys, my two sons. Um, they're um, at the top of their game in the UK, national pathway and uh, county champions, and um, it's uh, all my entire work. Actually, I'm I'm mm -hmm. coaching them uh, every day. Um, but um, yes, I was I was very good at maths, um, maths and physics and uh, analytical thinking, and I was quite um, um, capable, uh, you know, um, relative to my peers. And it was visible from a young age. Um, most striking was finishing math tests um, in a fraction of the time of the the other colleagues. Basically, would do it. Mm. Um, so, but tennis, tennis was my target and, uh, it, it ended with an accident. Uh, so I, I had to, uh, I had to withdraw from performance tennis and, um, make a choice, um, choose a, a, an academic career and, uh, yeah, physics, um, came naturally because he 
uh, it, it combines mathematics and uh, the, the 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 natural world, you know the. Uh, and and the, the, to some degree chemistry. Um, so mm. I, th I thought I thought it captures everything and is really fascinating. Mathematics can be quite boring um, uh, at some um, times uh, because mm. it's it's too detached from reality, it's too abstract. Um, mm. But physics um, gives some essence to equations, uh, some meaning, and is uh, is more uh, pleasant to actually do research in physics. Yeah. Um, you've written a book called Reality Reloaded. Um, mm. so let's start at the beginning. What is the simulated universe hypothesis? Well, this, frankly, Connor, this is a, um, uh, the, the basis of um, everything. This is a philosophical theory. Um, mm. so my hope is that, uh, the work I've been doing and uh, the work others are, uh, are doing as well will bring this, um, philosophical idea into the mainstream science and, um, there are some things that we uncover uncovered and uh, they can't um, we can't any longer ignore uh, some of the evidence that we have um, that this could be a real possibility okay that the, the, the whole universe is a digital construct um, so um, the simulation theory is it goes as far back as plato um, frankly is um, he was the idealist thinkers that um, assume that the real world is not what it seems. It's just a, a projection of our own minds, actually. That was the, the, the thinking back then. Uh, and the only thing real is our consciousness and our minds. And everything around us is um, our own construct, the, the world around us. And it, 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 it takes you back to the allegorical cave, Plato's cave, and um, you know the projections on the wall of uh, um, shadows. And um, so very interesting uh, ideas going very long time uh, ago. Um, but the simulation hypothesis um, has morphed into something different. The, the modern iteration of this um, philosophy is uh, idealism, is that um, it, not, it, it, it assumes that ourselves and our minds are actually part of the simulation as well. So mm -hmm. unlike the idealist thinkers that um, they um positioned our consciousness at the at the core of everything and the world being a construct of our own minds um the simulation hypothesis the modern iteration of this uh, of this uh, philosophical idea is that everything is actually a, a construct uh, including ourselves and our consciousness and our minds um so and this has entered the popular uh, popular culture through movies and science fiction books and uh, all sorts of things everybody is familiar with um the, the the you know the Matrix. latest movie and the, yeah mm. exactly the, there is increasing evidence increasing evidence and uh, uh, signatures of um, of this being a real possibility okay mm. and it, it can no longer be ignored because um, for the simple reason that we have too many unanswered questions in in physics and uh, about the universe and the world and as long as we are unable to address uh, these uh, these questions and uh, i'm i'm talking about things the big things like the big bang and the, the beginning of everything and the nature of the universe and um, you know the missing 95% of the universe what 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 is all that stuff the dark matter dark energy all these things uh, we as, as long as we don't have um uh, viable explanations yet um uh, th this simulation hypothesis um becomes a, a 
a, a feasible um, avenue for research. And um, it does appear as sweeping under the carpet the big questions and the, the heavy stuff and uh, a bit of cheating saying, um, a bit like the religious people uh, would, would do in the past, you know, that there was an unexplained phenomenon and they would say it's God's will or it's God's mm. anger or it's God's, you know, this. We, we came a long way and we explained most of these things and we understand i'm not i'm not denying religion i'm just saying we used to take the the short the shortest pathway and the, the simplest explanation and blame something on divine or um, and I, I i there's a danger that this could be seen as the same a similar thing in science uh, claiming mm. that we we are in a simulation and things we can't explain are are because of that and um, we, we yeah but in reality, this raises more questions than answers. So um, it doesn't stop the science or it doesn't um, uh, suppress the science. It, in fact, it stimulates the scientific process even more to actually explore everything we know almost from this new angle mm. and try to understand the things that we couldn't understand before. So it's not it's not a, a, a cheeky cheap way of you know you know brushing under the carpet um, complex um, scientific questions no it's actually complicating even more our scientific process it's not an easy way out so at, at the core of the book you're in some ways you're refuting the second law of thermodynamics right the law of entropy no no i'm not not at all so i uh, the, 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 all my work is um the beauty of all my work is that it doesn't contradict anything in physics. Okay, it does. Okay. Uh, when you go against uh, Boltzmann or Einstein or Maxwell or Newton or something like that, uh, then you it's hard to go to bed at night and sleep tight. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not uh, it's not a very brave thing to do. Okay, in science, mm. I'm not doing any of that. Yeah, uh, but I do contradict something. Actually, I do I do bring some contradiction uh, in terms of evolutionary theory. My work uh, points to. The fact that uh, uh, genetic mutations uh, appear to be uh, driven by a hidden entropic force, uh, this second law of information dynamics. So they mm. are not random. They are not random. And um, Darwin's um, evolution theory um, states that genetic mutations are complete uh, random processes. There's nothing governing these mutations. The only thing that governs evolution is the natural selection. Mm. Uh, so if if a if a mutation is beneficial to some organism, it will be kept and passed on to the next generation. If it's uh, detrimental, um, it will be erased through the natural selection process. But the mutations themselves are just random. Mm. So the, my research kind of uh, contradicts this, and uh, there is some, some solid evidence actually for this. But in terms of physics and fundamental laws, I'm not uh, I'm not going against anyone. Mm. And uh, and uh, I'm not, uh, you know, um, contradicting second law of thermodynamics or Boltzmann. All I'm saying is that th there is another second law, <laughs> uh, second law of information dynamics. Uh, so this one, we need to make a clear distinction here. The second mm. law of information dynamics is applicable to information, uh, to systems that can store information. Okay, so information storage systems, if you want. Mm. Uh, and... Um, uh, so, um, but it does appear that uh, anything can be actually defined as an information storage system or anything where you have a probabilistic nature of um, events and processes, then information kicks in. So um, it, it could be, but but it's not against the second law of thermodynamics. It's mm. um, complementary, if you want. It's, um, it, it works. They work together. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so a simulated universe would indicate that there is code underpinning the universe and wired into the simulation. How would you find, um, locate, identify that code? Is that the next frontier? Uh, so you you actually, uh, the way you formulate your question is actually very um, constructive. Um, and this is the way I explain uh, the existing work and the future work. Um, because um, what, what you just said is very, very fundamental. Okay, so uh, very frequently in scientific process, to solve a problem, whether it's mathematics or physics, um, we have a formalism where you make an assumption, okay? And then based on that ass assumption, we construct a, a whole formalism. It could be experimental protocols or theoretical arguments. And at some point, starting from that assumption, you reach another, some kind of conclusion, okay? And if that conclusion contradicts what we know already that is true, it means the assumption most likely was wrong because it led you to a contradiction. Or if the assumption was correct, it should take you to some kind of truth, mm. some kind of fact that is already proven and uh, known. So on, on the same basis, uh, coming back to your question, let, let's assume that we live in a simulation. Okay, let's make this assumption. So the, the working on this assumption, you will uh, start finding from inside the simulation, some kind of evidence that this is true, okay? Mm. Or some kind of scientific proof. And um, at some point, we, we either find a contradiction that it's illogical, it violates everything we know, and it will invalidate the original assumption. So it means mm. we are not in a simulation. Mm. Or at some point, we, we reach some valid conclusions, some truth, and... It, is, it means that this assumption is supported by evidence, okay? So it probably is true. Mm. So let's assume that we live in a simulation. Then what tools do we have? What kind of, um, uh, in our tool scientific toolbox, what, what kind of tools we can deploy to, to prove this, you know, from inside? It's a very serious scientific challenge. It's not an easy thing, okay? Mm. And there are three, I can't think of, I wish I could, but I, I there are three, different directions you can uh, identify uh, two which are um, revolving around my own research and one which is not part of my approach and i kind of disagree with that and i'm going to start with that one first the first is um, um, having your the way you formulate your question the existence of a code running the simulation so that's very very powerful so if we assume that we're in a simulation then that means the first logical transition from that assumption is that there is a code, some kind of code. We we don't know the nature of the code. Is 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 this digital? Is it quantum computation? Is it we don't know what is the computational process, but there will be some kind of code running this. So you need to find evidence of the code from inside the code <laughs> and uh, evidence of the data, huge amounts of data that would um, propagate the code and make this code function. Mm. Uh, and when I say data, I really refer to information, digital digital data or some kind of information that has to be there, okay, which is the code itself, all the variables and all the information storage and all the, the, the data stored as part of the, of the, the, the running the simulation. So then I said there are three approaches. 
the first one is uh, is being suggested by other scientists to look for glitches in uh, in the simulation okay so mm. like any program uh, i had my computer last night um, crashing very bizarrely um, you just had a crash now uh, mm. of, of your zoom uh, application so occasionally you have some glitches in the, in the program and um, the idea is that if you can find some glitches in uh, our universe okay um, it might be an indication of the glitch in the code. And when I say glitches, I'm not talking about UFOs or uh, ghost apparitions or this kind of stuff, paranormal uh, things. I'm talking about violations of the laws of physics in a short time segment, in a uh, little uh, localized space-time uh, region, um, things that don't make sense and they contradict everything we know. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that would be some kind of indication of the glitch in uh, in the in the simulation. The problem I have with this approach is that the, the laws of physics are continue, uh, continuously evolving. We we are developing uh, our understanding of the universe uh, on a continuous basis, and uh, you can you, you can just look at the uh, classical mechanics if you want the, the Newtonian dynamics. Uh, we, we we not long ago we thought is all there is. He explains everything is the dynamics of uh, large objects small objects whatever is um, it's a beautiful theory uh, but then we had in 1905 special relativity and we understood that the dynamics of uh, things moving at relativistic speeds um, is very different to the newtonian dynamics so it's called relativistic uh, mechanics okay not classical mm -hmm. mechanics and then uh, not 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 long after that we developed uh, an extension of this called quantum mechanics to explain the, the the dynamics of things at quantum level, like atomistic level and subatomistic level, uh, so we, in other words, if you would observe before we develop these new theories, if you would observe something that appeared to be a glitch in the simulation, it was just our lack of understanding or our, um, uh, you know, very immature, if you want, uh, uh, understanding of of the laws of physics, which are continuously evolving. Um, so this approach is maybe not the best from the scientific approach because the glitch may not, in fact, be a glitch. It, it may be a, it, it a might be lack something of that we don't exactly. Side. That's mm. exactly how to put it. And besides, we don't have a reference frame to distinguish what is real and what is not real. So um, it's not um, um, it's not a good approach. But the other two, looking for what you just said in your question, looking for the code mm. or looking for the data of the code, okay. These are very viable uh, uh, propositions, and uh, uh, I've seen some interesting ideas. For example, looking for the code is maybe if you overload the computational power of the universe in a local um, uh, space-time volume, uh, you you give um, it's almost like a DDoS attack uh, on the universe itself. Uh, the the idea is that if you can engineer something like this. Um, the time will slow down, just like in the relativistic uh, mechanics. It will slow down in that region of space-time because um, uh, this is exactly what a computer does if you if you overload your computer with too many uh, applications being opened at the same time and the processor and the memory is being overloaded and is, um, it's not capable of handling all the applications and the computational processes. Mm. What it does is slows down. Everything starts moving slowly, and it 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 the, the computation is being delayed, and 
So that would be the equivalent uh, of a DDoS attack on the university. You, would, you should see some kind of time um, slowing down or some kind of gravitational uh, anomalies uh, in that uh, in that region. And this is what uh, this is what time does around black holes. Uh, the black hole horizon it stops completely. There is no time flowing. And uh, at relativistic speeds, uh, it, it is exactly what it does. It, the time flows slower for objects moving at um, relativistic speeds and stops completely at the speed of light. And that is a, these are little hints that we have in science that just like a computer and like a computational process that has a limited processing power, a processor running at, I don't know, five gigahertz or whatever, it's, yeah. that's the processing speed of the processor. You mm. cannot overcome that. We also mm. have a, a limited processing speed is the speed of light. How so would you we, how would you test that? How would you how like how would you um, run the experiment? That's the million dollar question and the, the Nobel Prize uh, <laughs> winning uh, research. I mm. mean, <laughs> if I knew how to do that, I would I would do it tomorrow. But um, I don't have a clue. And I've been exchanging emails with some very smart guys. And um, um, there are suggestions, you know, there are hints of how one might go about this, mm. you know, but um, it's totally unachievable as, as 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 far as I know, we don't have a protocol yet. Um, so that that is an approach, okay. But mm. um, another approach is to actually look for some signatures of the code in in the universe, okay. And I think this is what I found with the second law of thermodynamics, um, second law of information dynamics. Information yeah, yeah. I think I think this is a, 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 a it's not the evidence. I can't. Everybody gets excited about this aspect of uh, we live in a simulation and all that, but actually, this is just a conclusion, a tiny conclusion, a possible conclusion. It's not even, I'm not claiming I found the, the total proof. Mm. All I'm saying is some kind of supporting evidence to this, and it needs obviously more research. But um, um, I am excited about the second law of information dynamics itself because we have an additional tool now in physics to look at uh, a variety of phenomena, including biological systems and, uh, you know, DNA, RNA, other things. Uh, but um, um, this appears to to give some support to this idea, some kind of, it's, it's like a fingerprint, if you want, mm. like some kind of supporting evidence of, uh, of a signature of this um, code, uh, because it appears to permeate everything. It's, um, it's quite universal and um, it's, it's, it's really applicable even to mathematical entities like uh, geometric shapes and symmetries and this kind of stuff. Very abstract things. They are not physical. They are not material things. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite powerful. Yeah. So that is one, one way of, uh, um, you know, building up um, a, a case around, around this idea, a scientific case, I should say. Quick and um, brief interruption. Uh, if you've ever watched one of the videos, if you're watching this one now and you're enjoying it and you find it interesting, could you please hit the subscribe button? You've no idea the difference it makes to a channel and to a video and how it's proliferated across YouTube. It really does matter. If you could do that, I would really, really appreciate it. And to all those that have done it already, thank you so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. What what uh -huh. can you how can you what can you tell us about the math that you're using to do? How so can you... the the beauty about this is uh, that 
the the mathematics behind this um, is highly accessible. It's not. Um, uh, it's actually first of all, it's classical. <laughs> Everything mm. is classical, so it's nothing quantum uh, uh, formalism in uh, anything I've done. Um, it's nothing relativistic either. Okay, so we are not looking at tensor calculations and uh, you know quantum field theory or anything like that. It's actually very accessible uh, mathematics, very easy to understand. And perhaps this is why so the uptake is so good actually because it's highly accessible to uh, a, a very wide range of um, scientists and public. Mm. So what is the mathematics? Essentially, the first it's a bit of physics. So the the idea that uh, I don't know where to begin because there are two things here. Uh, that there, there, there is, um, I, I explained there are three possible signatures: the glitches, the code, and then the information. Mm. And I had, I said nothing about the information itself. Okay, so finding the information. So this is, this is another piece of work I've done in 2019 uh, called mass energy information equivalence principle. So. Um, Perhaps I'll get back to that in a, in a few seconds. But uh, the, 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 essentially, the, the, the idea is that when you have information created uh, into a physical system, the, the intuition tells us that you actually order that system and you create order in the system and you lower the entropy. It's actually the opposite. You, uh, <laughs> you actually increase the entropy of the system by creating additional uh information microstates so the system had an entropy uh, a measure of disorder all the microstates that are compatible with the macrostate of the system uh at the time zero and then you put information on that the entropy increases because you add information states so this is it's hard to picture this but actually this is what is happening okay so if you create n bits of information you will have two to the power n microstates added to the system. So it increases very rapidly. Um, and if if you decide to delete now some of that information, okay, mm -hmm. what you essentially do, you reduce the entropy. Okay, so you go against the second law of thermodynamics uh, by reducing the entropy. So that cannot happen. Okay, so um, uh, and there are two things here in, in, in this process. First, once you delete the uh, information, this is an irreversible process. So in other words, once you delete a file from your computer, it will not spontaneously appear by itself again. You need to add energy and rewrite it and uh, you know reconstruct that file. Mm. But by itself, it will not reconstruct itself. So it's irreversible process. And we know from thermodynamics, irreversible processes are dissipative. So they have to dissipate some energy. So, for example, I give you the, this coffee example. It mm. was very hot at the very beginning when I um, joined the, the, this uh, this uh, Zoom um, um, interview. And uh, it goes through an irreversible process by dissipating energy to the room and to the coffee mug. At some point, you will reach room temperature. Mm. And the, this is irreversible. It will not spontaneously heat itself again. It will stay like that. Okay. Um, so Landauer in 1960s, he recognized that Computational processes should be treated uh, through the uh, the prism of um, laws of physics and thermodynamics, just like any other processes. In other words, if you have a logic uh, computational process that is irreversible, that should be dissipative, just like this coffee or like any other physical system. Mm. And he concluded that information, when you erase it, should dissipate some energy. 
Mm. Okay. And that energy comes from the information itself. It's nothing to do with the physical support uh, where the information, the physical state where the information is stored. This information, this abstract mathematical construct itself that gives us the extra entropy uh, states, the information, uh, the energy dissipation comes from the information. So he said information is physical. It has okay? mass. It, uh, well, no, I said that. Mm. Landauer said it's physical. Okay. Information mm. is, it has energy. So uh, all I did in the 2019 article was to connect the dots. I said uh, if uh, information um, is equivalent to energy and if energy is equivalent to mass, which is, we know this from Einstein, mm. then energy, mass, and information are all uh, the, same, yeah, the, yeah. Same, the same entity, a tri triad of uh, the same entity. Um, so what is, you, you, you are asking about the mathematics of this. So uh, mm. first of all, it's the Shannon information theory that uh, is fundamental to this. Uh, in 1940s, uh, Claude Shannon, so this is an American uh, mathematician. Um, in 1940s, he formulated um, what we call the information theory. And his, I believe his uh, job was to find the most optimal way of um, transferring uh, data or a message, he calls it a message, from point A to point B using the most optimal amount of information to make the message decodable at the other end. Mm. So maybe if I say Connor, okay, and if I take uh, a letter out of your name, okay, and send this message to somebody and that somebody knows is a name, you will go through all the permutations and all the, the you know poss possibilities of combining letters to form a name with the remaining letters and few of them missing mm. and they will the, the, the question is what is the minimum amount of, of letters in that name that you need to send to make it decodable so somebody can figure out this is a conner mm. it's not uh, there is no other possibility to form a, a real name from these letters unless it's a conner okay mm. So, and uh, he gave a formula for this. It's called uh, the information entropy. So essentially it gives a, the, 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 the best data compression, um, you know, but the beauty of his theory is that he called these uh, letters or messages, but uh, he calls them events and he allocates probabilities to them. And then you can take that theory and apply it to anything that can have a probability, can be called an event, um, so digital data would be a message of zeros and ones. Mm. Uh, genetic data will be a message of four letters, uh, A, C, T, G. Okay, so the nu nucleotides are encoded in four letters. Mm. So Shannon's uh, theory has found applicability in linguistics, in linguistics, in um, mathematics, in physics, in biology, in genetics. This is incredible. Okay, digital technologies, and he gave us the unit of bit, a bit of information. The, one bit, we measure digital data and the size of digital files, files and the, the, the size of digital data in units of bits. He gave us this unit, okay? It, it comes from uh, the Shannon uh, information entropy. So that comes back to this mathematical aspect. So what is information? So when you say information, it means different things to different people. It, it, it's a context dependent, um, you know, concept. But when I talk about information, I really mean a mathematical function, this Shannon uh, information function, which is a, a logarithmic function of a probability of an event to occur or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is in a nutshell. This is how you define uh, the information. Um, and 
Inf Melvin, information has to be communicable, right? So it has to have a language. Um, mm, yes and no. Um, mm, it's a good it's a good point, but this you see in in this formalism, the the the, the information is defined only like this, and there is no measure of the quality of the information or um, other features of the information so mm. in this respect if you take a, a string of uh, zeros and ones and you put them on a data storage and they are completely randomized and they mean nothing from the information theory angle those bits um, represent information you can allocate uh, a bit measure to them and you can calculate an information entropy but if you actually retrieve the message that, that those bits will form, there is gibberish stuff, is nothing there. Mm. If you take the same amount of bits now and maybe you write a message that contains, I don't know, the, the, the mystery who killed Kennedy or, or some kind of great information, okay, that is encoded in those bits. Shannon information theory does not make any distinction between completely random, non um, non-message, if you want, information that is encoded in those zeros and ones and something that is uh, hugely valuable. So it doesn't give you a value of information or quality of information. And I mm -hmm. think this is a, a bit of a gap in the theory. It, it just treats information as probabilistic um, events. So it looks at the probabilities of these zeros and ones to, to occur and it, it draws uh, a value of, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not... It doesn't give you a color of <laughs> of something or or features, other features. Only only a, a simple value in bits. Yeah. So the so you've described the math there, right? Have you? Um, can I ask you about AI and what impact AI, um, the human development of AI, could have on the simulation? Is that something a question that has occurred to you? It's not only a question that occurred to me, but the, the, the only reason we are talking about this and the only reason Landauer in 1960s started to examine computational processes from uh, the, 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 the angle of the laws of physics, applying the laws of physics to computational processes and formulated his Landauer principle is amazing stuff. Uh, the only reason we've been doing this is because we developed quite recently digital technologies. Okay, so... The first uh, transistor and semiconductor devices, they were invented in 1940s. Um, there was a Nobel Prize for that. Uh, in 1952, we had uh, the, the invention of the microchip and the integrated circuits. So this lithography process and uh, vertical integration at nano level, you know, layer by layer. And this uh, in, insane processes that we do to fabricate the, the high-tech uh, gadgets of today. And uh, you, you can you can you can look back, and this is a very recent history. I mean, we are looking from computational things. Started uh, IBM in 1956, uh, developed the first hard disk drive. So the very first computers around there, okay, around 1950s, 1960s. Uh, but this is what triggered this new, if you want, um, angle of looking at physics and the world from computational. Uh, uh, processes angle and from the rules of computation if you want uh, and start looking at similarities between the the way the, the the universe behaves and how a computer behaves even however basic okay 
Mm. But we came we came a long way. I mean, um, if you take um, the Apollo mission, um, the whole NASA station uh, that um, was deployed for the Apollo mission, uh, in your pocket now, your mobile phone has more computational power than the entire um, Apollo mission um, uh, computer, okay? Um, so it, it, it's incredible the rate of development that uh, we, we are experiencing now and how fast we, we move into these uh, computational technologies. I mean, for God's sake, we have immersive virtual realities now. I, I even, even I have home a PlayStation system that has a VR um, 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 add-on to, to it, the, the PS4 and the above. Mm. They come with a VR component. So you, you can do VR games and uh, immersive um, uh, you know, VR applications. It's quite, quite remarkable. And uh, this is in a tiny, tiny short uh, space of time. And then in the last year or so, we, we had the emergence of something else, which has been theorized and uh, you know speculated for a long time, the artificial intelligence. But this is no longer science fiction. This is now happening. Uh, and it's happening very fast, uh, so fast that the British government um, had a, a recent um, global summit on, on AI, looking at safety nets around this, uh, looking at possible regulations, because um, left uh, unchecked, this has the potential to to be very... Um, it has the potential to be very helpful to to mankind and to our progress, but also very destructive. Mm. It's a bit like atomic bomb. Okay, so the, when we discovered uh, how to split the atom and how to make uh, extract atomic energy, you had the two sides of it: the good and the bad. The good was the generation of power using, uh, you know, the, the atomic power plants. And the bad is the, the, the defense component and the, the weapon systems that have been developed on, on this. Well, I see the AI uh, in the same way. I see the AI, AI uh, artificial intelligence, as um, um, a very good force for good, uh, a, very, a very powerful force for good, but also a very dangerous, um, uh, what, you know... What I, um, yeah, what I'm wondering, Melvin, is with the accelerated advance of AI, Right. Um, I mean, it's anticipated in the next few years that we're going to have large language models, models and AI that are that, that will pass overcome out human, human brain. And yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's, I think it's already happening. I think it's not uh, it's not in the future. I think this is already happening. It's, um, sure, it has you would, happened. Yeah. So you, you would have to wonder with the emergence of AI technology and the possibility of a simulated. How does the AI technology sit within that framework? That simulated units, and what can we learn potentially? Okay, so um, if you actually uh, go back to the um, original Matrix movie, okay, and I'm sure many of your listeners um, are familiar with this movie, the simulation was actually run by a kind of AI, okay, and the purpose of the simulation was to generate power to power the, 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 the AI and the robots uh, from human brain. Um, so it kind of geniusly, you know, when, when they wrote the script and all that, I mean, to come up with this back then, it was uh, amazing. Uh, now you mentioned my book, okay, uh, very kindly at the, at the beginning. Uh, so in my book, uh, I discuss um, this scientific case for a simulated universe, okay, is 
it has an academic component there. There are some equations and all that, but there is a lot of philosophical discussion. Uh, and um, at some point, I realized that um, talking about universe and the world being a simulation, um, it, it can be quite threatening and quite, uh, you know, unwelcomed by um, a, a very large group of deeply religious people. Mm. Okay, so you have different denominations, different religions uh, on the planet. Billions of people are worshipping some kind of divine. And when you come up and say this, uh, it could be seen as blasphemic, you know, like, uh, you know, this is uh, an assault to our uh, beliefs or our religion, um, you know, but But I thought it would foundations. be... It, it infers and evidence of intelligent design, though. That's that's exactly so. Uh, I'm getting there. Exactly, this is what I'm doing. So, what I uh, write in the book, I said, okay, I I made myself a bit of a target to these people, and I um, I better address um, their concerns and have a little chapter about this in the book. It's called the religious perspective um, to the simulation uh, simulated universe theory. Mm. How religion and this. Um, idea what are the synergies and how they complement each other and do they contradict each other and actually i make a strong case that the simulate simulated universe is um, not denying uh, a religious divine is actually <laughs> saying uh, almost the same thing it, it, it does bring about this intelligent design it does bring about the the necessity of a creator of a of a simulator if you want of some kind of entity that does this Mm. And um, so I, I, I think I did quite elegantly uh, write. A, it's a short chapter; it's not very large, okay. But I think I managed to calm down a lot of these people that would be probably angered or threatened or anything. However, in the process of doing this, I had to, I had to get a little bit deep into the, <laughs> some of the the biblical things. You know, some just essentially look at the Bible, really. And um, you would not believe what I found. You would just not believe what I found. I found a paragraph in the Bible. It's Gospel, uh, Gospel of John, okay? And um, I might not say it word for word exactly how it is, but it is like this. Uh, at the beginning, and it talks about the Genesis and the, how, world, how, how the world started, okay? At the beginning, there was the Word, okay, Word. And the Word was with God, and God was the word. I, I, I don't know about you, but it gives me uh, goosebumps, uh, this, this, this paragraph, because you just take the, uh, this, this word, word, and replace it with the code. And read again the paragraph, okay, from the Bible. And the Bible says, at the beginning, there was the code. The code was with God. So it tells us there is a creator, there is a, an intelligent design that wrote the program. And then it tells us who the God is. It says, and God was the code. In other words, God is an AI. And this is in the Bible. Mm. How insane is this? Okay, because you just brought about this AI thing. And um, it's it, coincidentally, I mean, I had I have this in the book actually discussed in a, in a few other paragraphs. I know it sounds like cherry picking. You go and pick up things and start making things out of, you know, giving them your own interpretation. And uh, of course, uh, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know how how they say, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know it sounds like this, but you can't deny the the powerful 
you know, similarity between, I mean, we just had AI um, emerging mm. in the last couple of years. And uh, to have the Bible telling us that at the beginning, there was nothing, just the code. And the code was with the creator and the creator was the code. What, words, can you remember the passage from the Bible or where can people locate that? Gospel of John 1, 1. So first paragraph, first, um, yeah, 1, 1. And it's in the, it's in the, it's in the book, actually, the, the whole the coat and a few other coats. So I, I thought that was quite powerful. So what started as a almost apologetic little chapter to <laughs> religious people, and I ended up actually endorsing the whole bloody thing and, um, you know, like saying, wait a second, even the Bible tells us that we might be living in a simulation. So how crazy is that? Are there many physicists that share um, your perspective or your like well, what is the reaction from your community being the scientific community to the book so all the time when some new idea or some new paradigm uh, emerged in science or physics the the first reaction was to some kind of push. reluctance some yeah. kind of push some kind of reluctance at accepting it i mean when Planck uh, came up with the idea that the, the energy is quantized and we have quanta of energies and, um, you know, we had all these people doing uh, calculus and differential equations and continuous, you know, functions and mathematics. And you say, wait, everything is discontinued. Everything mm -hmm. is discrete. And it's not, it, the world, it doesn't function the way we, we thought it does. And uh, I mean, he was so scared of his own statement uh, if I remember correctly, for about two years, he did not go to any conference. He didn't make any public statements. He just took a step back and said, gosh, I'm going to, I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, wait and see what happens. So quantum mechanics told us weird things, you know, the non-locality, the, the quantum entanglement, uh, uh, the duality of uh, wave particle, you know, uh, the double slit experiment, which depends on the observation. So if you look or if you observe the experiment, it behaves in one way. If you don't, the, the it behaves as a wave, so it doesn't collapse the way. I mean, these are really weird things that the science uh, uh, threw at us, you know, and we, we learn how to accept them. But yeah, in many ways, the, the scientist becomes an apostate for yes, want of a, a, yes, another religious expression. Yes, and, well, sort of, yes. And uh, the, the, the initial reaction is to reject everything, mm. uh, but, but then... Uh, we have the scientific process, and this involves empirical evidence. It involves further Testing, uh, development, for further development of the theories. Mm. You know, looking at those that method, which you start with a conjecture or some kind of uh, assumption, and you build your work from that. You reach a valid conclusion, then maybe the assumption was correct. So these kind of tests that we have. So the way I see it is the duty of a scientist is to actually share. The science and publish any ideas and any new science and everything mm. because if we don't uh, it's actually uh, very detrimental to the scientific community and the, the, we stop the progress if we don't share the scientific findings or ideas mm. sometimes these will be disproved other times they will be proven correct okay but if you don't put them in the public domain and put them up for debate and uh, and scientific scrutiny, if you scrutiny, want, yeah. yes. Then then, it, then you you never know. So you know, just imagine if Newton wouldn't publish his work or uh, Einstein, or we would be set back hundreds of years in terms of uh, development. 
So it and takes yes, a certain amount of courage. It, and, no, and, it's, and, a, it's not courage. It's a public duty. Hmm. It's a public duty. If you do science, you are, most of us are funded by uh, taxpayers hmm. through the university funding systems and uh, um, research grants and things like that. Okay, research institutes. Most of us are in in public duty service uh, jobs, uh, as I see it. Hmm. And it's a public duty. It's your duty to share your science. And yes, it's absolutely fine. Sometimes people do mistakes and or, or something is wrong. And But if you don't share it, it, it we will never know, do we? Mm. So, uh, no, it's a public duty. You, it's not, I don't see it as courage or anything. I just, I, uh, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, this is the science. This is where my conclusions took me. I might be correct. I might be wrong, but I can't solve this on my own. There are thousands of other people out there that they deserve to read about this. And maybe they will come back and disprove it, or or maybe they will come back and say, "Hey, this is really helpful because the the second law of information dynamics it helps us to explain things that we couldn't before, or things like that." Okay, mm -hmm. so that's how I see it. It's not. I just hope the uptake is positive and uh, you know is fine. But uh, there, there always there will be some push, like you said. Is and I'm I'm happy with that. I accept it and I welcome it. Mm. In fact, <laughs> I welcome debate, welcome criticism. There is no reason why you wouldn't, you know, the scientific debate is a necessity. Have theologians reached out to you at all? I don't want to go that way. It's, mm. uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Can simulation theory align with the Big Bang um, and our current understanding of the birth of the universe, if you like? Can, is, is, can you... I, I get the question, okay, is we have a, a very deep understanding up to a point, okay? Mm. And then everything break, breaks down at, at the singularity of the Big Bang. The, the wall, and we can't pass beyond that, okay? Mm. So where the simulation um, comes here, it gives you the easy way out of this and uh, says simply that what was the Big Bang? It was the, the moment somebody turned the simulation on. Mm. <laughs> and the rendering of the universe uh, began from there using the laws of the code. So don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, intelligent design and creationist or whatever it is. I, I think, yes, there is a creation process, but the, the, the code and the creation process allowed for an evolution to follow after the initial rules have been given dispersed. and, and in, you know, pro, pro dispersed, mm. then the evolution followed. Okay, so they are both true, you see? Mm. That's that's how I see it, yeah. But um, we we enter the realm of speculations now. It's not, uh, um, yeah. So what I want to try and understand is what are the ramifications, before we finish up, the ramifications for society, for community, for everyone, if we are living in a simulated universe, um, or is it something that really is irrelevant in people's daily lives, for example? So this is a question I get uh, very frequently and um, almost all the time, actually, because this is what people care about. And um, mm. it's exactly what you said um, is totally irrelevant to our daily life. It makes no difference to you and me whether we are not or we are in a simulated um, reality. Uh, and the reason is we, we can't distinguish between what is real and what is not real. We can't tell whether this is the real thing or... The, the simulated thing is there is no way of distinguishing mm. in fact it's so complex um, that we we struggle through scientific means to 
to prove this. This is this is the big struggle in science to actually find the signatures of these. Um, the only difference you will make is uh, in deep scientific uh, research, um, trying to um, understand what we call the laws of physics. We can call them the laws of the code or the, the you know the laws of the simulation, if you want, mm. and um, and. It opens up a range of possibilities in terms of science and uh, development, because if we actually achieve a, a deep level of scientific understanding and maybe we we find a way of actually not breaking out of the matrix, but maybe um, uh, hacking uh, the, the matrix, that's the word I've been looking for, hacking the, the matrix a little bit, maybe we can start making our lives a bit better. You know, maybe we can start improving the world from within by changing the rules of the matrix without mm. destroying the world, okay? So, you know, bending some of the rules of physics or maybe, you know, if this is how I see it as a, as a, as a positive thing. You see it as a useful tool. As Use, useful in tool, the right hands. In the right hands and it can be weaponized. If, if mm. somebody, I mean, it will be in a fraction of a second, the defense industry will, will, will uptake this in a fraction of a second and try to weaponize it. Just think about this. If take our planet and whatever we are here, reality or simulated, okay, the, the, the countries that control the most powerful weapons systems on the planet, they kind of, is the golden rule. Who's got the gold makes the rules, okay? So mm -hmm. they, they kind of make the rules and they have the Security Council permanent members and, you know, the nuclear powers and this kind of stuff. Um, but the country... Or the you know the company or the the defense industry that controls the code or the, the the simulation or the matrix or hacks that controls not the planet controls the universe. Universe, yeah. Yeah. So you will be no you will be in a fraction of a second that this will get weaponized uh, before you know it. Uh, yes, I agree with that. So like with everything else, like AI, like atomic weapons, like uh, an atomic energy, like everything else. This could also be, yeah, probably used for good things, but <laughs> without harbinger of doom. Um, Melvin, what what does the future hold for your work? Where are you going next after Reality Reloaded? What's the future for Melvin Vopsy? In twenty twenty two, I uh, proposed some kind of experimental protocol to test some of my um, ideas. And uh, this is not done yet. Um, so one avenue is to, I need to secure the funding for this. I even crowdfunded for this experiment. I managed to get 5% of the budget um, crowdfunded, but um, it's not, these are not cheap workbench experiments. It's, it it mm. takes uh, money, yeah. So um, seeking the funding maybe to um, attempt that experiment or maybe collaborative um, groups somewhere else uh, to minimize the, 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 the cash requirements. Uh, to build the instrument. So that's one option. So I would like to maybe attempt that thing. Um, and that links up with the mass energy information equivalence principle, showing that information has mass and um, uh, and the, the, the matter has a DNA, uh, informational DNA stamped in every elementary particle and everything. So very, very wacky, very fundamental ideas, but uh, the implications are, ramifications are huge mm. if these are proven correct. So I would like to try that. Um, the second law of information uh, dynamics, uh, it doesn't need any proof. Um, it's based on empirical evidence and facts that are testable and out there. So it's kind of 
what it does need, and this is what I would like to work on a little bit more, uh, expansion into as many systems and as many uh, processes as possible to see where it can help mm. uh, 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 by bringing additional tools to physics and you know to, un- to our understanding. And I'm working on something as we speak now uh, on that aspect. Uh, on the genetic side, the law has been tested on SARS-CoV-2, which is the COVID-19 virus. Yeah, um, it hasn't been tested on other genetic systems. It would be nice to expand the validity of these to other bacteria, viruses. You know, it can be applied to cancer research, to all sorts of things. Mm. So uh, there is a lot of room for expansion in that area. So I, I mean. This is a rich, very productive uh, scientific field because it, it branches out into so many things, pure mathematics, computational information theory, physics, fundamental physics, cosmology, genetics, and uh, evolution. I mean, it's insane. So I'm not actually running out of ideas what to do uh, or um, panicking uh, about the, the future because I'm I'm quite positive I'll be busy until retirement with this uh, with this work and probably never finish. <laughs> everything i want to do so <laughs> well i mean you, you couldn't possibly finish i mean there's there's there's, there's no. no end it's endless exactly it's endless. endless and everybody died unhappy actually the great scientists and physicists they they always they felt unaccomplished they mm. felt like they didn't finish so yeah you need a bit of a buddhistic approach here sort of like mm. <laughs> so like just you go in a vicious circle and you never you never feel you know but yeah there's I, always another I, question there's always exactly. another problem. Exactly. And yes, so you need to draw a line at some point. I'm just mm. keeping myself busy with this stuff here, yeah, information physics. Melvin, we put a book, uh, we put a link to Reality Reloaded in the description box. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely fascinating. And um, yeah, keep doing Appreciate what you do. it. F- thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Delighted to talk to you. <laughs>